I know, it's weird to see a complete stranger on stage. I will introduce myself in a moment. I don't want to alarm anyone. I just want to help make a point tonight that you can never be too sure as to who it is you might be talking to at any given moment. There are masters of disguise in our world, living under your nose right as you live and breathe, mild-mannered pastors who could be covert government operatives and criminal masterminds. You'd never know it. It's because they're wearing glasses. Whoa, whoa, I know, okay, it's just me. It's just me, I know. Sometimes glasses can throw people off a little bit. You probably didn't recognize me. I'm not a criminal mastermind or a government operative, at least as far as you know. You'll never find out if I'm good at my job. Isn't it weird how glasses have become the disguise for secret identities? So welcome to the Secret Identity series And we're really going to be talking about this very thing. What what if we are different than what people think we are? What if there's actually more to us than what people would assume at first glance? What if everyone else is different than what you're assuming about them at first glance? See, I've always been a little bit fascinated by secret identities and spies. I loved watching like Mission Impossible when I was growing up. I always loved it when they would like rip the mask off of their face and it would be someone completely different. You're like, oh, that was incredible. Those were good costumes. They were great at their job. Uh, Other times there are terrible costumes like glasses, like Superman. That's all. That's it. That's all he did. He's like, hold on, hold on. Nope. Mild mannered. This is me. Clark Kent, you'd never know. Can you imagine if that was true in real life? If all it took to completely conceal your identity was a pair of glasses. You're at home with your spouse. They take out a pair of new reading glasses, put them on. You're like, who are you? How did you get into my house? If glasses, if that's all it takes. You go to the movies, everyone puts on their 3D glasses, and there's panic everywhere because no one knows who they're sitting beside in the theater anymore. It's just strangers wearing glasses. It was the worst costume in the world. Actually, there are worse costumes. Uh, Any 80s kids in the house here who grew up with He-Man? Anyone remember He-Man? Okay, here's the thing about He-Man. It it said this in the opening story to He-Man that there are only three people who knew about his secret identity. He's just this guy named Adam, but only three people know that when he holds the sword over his head, he becomes the most powerful man in the universe. And we're like, oh, that's neat. Here's the thing. He has literally no disguise. He's not even trying. He doesn't even wear glasses. Look at this. You know what? That's not a disguise. You took your shirt off. That's it. Is that really all it took to trick people? Like, that's a pretty distinct haircut. Is no one picking up on the fact that these might be the same guy? Come on, He-Man. And what I find actually to be funnier is that he had a pet cat that was also secret, but he gets the costume. The pet cat is the guy that gets this huge full-fledged costume, whereas this bright red body saddle suit thing, look at this. Anyone remember this? Maybe he's not even, look at that. <laughs> no one's gonna suspect a thing about He-Man, but we better, we better be super careful about the cat. No one can know about the cat. Is anyone else forgetting? Like, it's a green cat. They're not super common. It's a terrible costume to begin with. I think one of the all-time best costumes, though, if you're trying to cover up your identity, uh, it's been used with great success for many years, the trench coat. 
If you just want to hide, hide your identity, you just wear a trench coat. Uh, the Ninja Turtles use this with great success. Um, see, no one knows. No one has any idea those are Ninja Turtles. Just four guys walking down the road wearing trench coats or the classic three kids stacked on top of each other wearing a trench coat to look like an adult. Or, or maybe three dogs stacked on top of one another. See, secret identities, we, we've seen it done poorly, we've seen it done kind of well, but what, what about when it comes to us? What if there is actually more to us than what people think? What if there's actually more to the people that you see every day, that you bump into, that you interact with, that you go to work with, that you go to school? What, what if there's more to them than what we necessarily think of? Because here's the truth. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you take on a brand new identity. You, you become a completely different person. Now, you're still you, and yet at the same time, you are brand new. You, you are different, and you are new. And so that's what we're going to talk about over the course of this series is who am I, or even more specifically, who am I in Christ? What happens when I take on the person of Christ? What, what's happened in my life that, that people don't necessarily see on the surface? Because that's, that's not our identity, is it? Our identity is not in the outward appearance, but it's about the things that are inside of us, the things that people can't necessarily see or they would necessarily guess about you. So this whole idea of being made new, of being saved, these are all inward things that happen. And, and, and it can be a little confusing sometimes, when you hear the phrase, you know, you, you just need to be saved, you just need to pray a prayer, and, and you hear people say, all you have to do is invite Jesus into your life, it will be the biggest decision you ever make. You can't do anything bigger or more important. Everything will change in that moment, and you pray a prayer, and you're like, okay? I mean, I don't, I don't feel different. I don't think I look different. I, I don't think I sound different. I still, everything seems the same, same guy, same name, same job, same family, same struggles. Same, like what, what exactly changed when I became a follower of Jesus Christ? You said everything would change. It doesn't seem like anything has changed. And yet in that exact moment, that spiritual kind of instantaneous moment of salvation, everything did change. Your identity changed entirely from the inside out. So here's what scripture really says about who we are. And this is the passage that we're going to kind of be working through over the course of this series or these next few weeks. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, for you are not like that. We'll, we'll get to that at a different time. He says, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received mercy. So in that moment, 
The scripture says, all of a sudden, we have become chosen people. We, we have become royalty in God's eyes. We have been made holy in an instant, and we are now God's possession. We are now part of God's family. So everything changed. Everything changed in that moment. And all of those things happened like that. None of those things are aspirational. None of those things are things that will happen at a later date. None of those things are things that that are only going to happen if you work hard enough for them. The moment you took on Christ as your identity, you became holy. You became part of a royal priesthood. You became one of God's own children. That is what he sees when he looks at you. In that very moment. So what does that mean? What do all those words and phrases actually mean? What is my real identity? And I'm sure at some point in your life you have asked yourself the question. Everyone on the planet has asked themselves the question, who am I? Not to get all like super deep and existential on us or anything, but you have. You've sat down and you've thought, well, who am I? What am I here for? Is this on purpose? Is there meaning to this? What, what, What is the whole idea behind life. Even if you believe in God and know that his plan for your life is perfect, you have still sat down and thought, but who am I? And even if you don't believe in God and you've not made this decision, at some point you have wondered, who am I? What am I here for? Is this an accident? Is there meaning to this? Is there anything after this? What's the whole point of this? That's hard. That's hard to come up with an answer to that. Maybe you've never come up with an answer to the question, who am I? What makes it harder is when someone else asks you. So who are you? Ever struggled to answer that question? I mean, it happens pretty casually a lot of the time. So who are you? Well, I, I, I don't know. I think a lot of times it depends on the context of the question. If someone asks you angrily, who are you? You're probably in trouble. Perhaps you walked into a situation that you shouldn't have been in. If someone asks you with a concerned voice, who are you? Maybe you walked into the wrong house at night or something. I don't know. There's a reason they're asking it like that to you, right? And your answer in those situations will probably determine what happens next. It's a big answer. Who am I? You better have a good answer in some of those times. Remember this week I had to pick up my daughter from elementary school. You can't, they just, not anyone can just walk into the elementary school. You go up to the door, and you hit a doorbell, and I got to buzz you in. You walk in, and you're kind of stopped at the front, and I'm looking at the lady uh, who, who's at the front desk, and she asks, who are you? And I was like, well, I'm here to pick up my daughter, Kate, and she was right there. And they're like, oh, great, perfect, have a good day. If my answer had have been anything else, if my answer had have been, I'm just passing through, that's not a good answer. Not a good answer in that moment and in that context. You better have a good answer at certain times when someone asks you the question, well, who are you? So what is your answer? Who are you? I think oftentimes the easiest thing to say is your name. Well, I'm, I'm Mark. I'm whatever. Well, that's, that's not your identity. You could go to court tomorrow, pay 100 bucks, and change it. So that better not be your identity if it can change that quickly. So then we'll default often to maybe our broader circumstances. Well, I'm a husband. I'm a father. That, that's who I am. Well, you weren't always those things. Did you not have identity before those things happened? And what about the people who aren't married? And what about the people who don't have kids? If your identity is found in that, then, then what about them? That can't be your identity. One of the most common answers to the question, 
Who are you is usually your job. Well, I'm a teacher, I'm a lawyer, a dentist, I'm a cashier. Well, that's great, but what if that all changes tomorrow? What if your business goes under? What if there's layoffs? What if you retire? Listen, everyone does this. Do not mistaken your career with your identity. They are not the same thing. That is not who you are. So sometimes we'll just end up saying things like, well, I'm a Canadian. I'm an American. Whatever. Right? Well, that's good. That's neat. Uh, You didn't get to pick that. You had no say in that, really. And, And honestly, at the end of the day, countries are a pretty fluid thing, aren't they, in the grand scheme of world history? Countries are pretty new. Countries come and go. Countries change all the time. There are people on on the earth that were born in one country and doesn't even exist anymore. What if 10 years from now we all live in Kanadistan or something? We have no idea. Listen, your identity better not all be wrapped up in your country because countries change, countries collapse, countries are corrupt. That's not who you are. So who are you? And God answers us in 1 Peter and he says, you You, I chose you, I made you holy, I called you my own, I say that you're royalty, and I've got good things for you to do on this earth. That's your identity. He says, that's who I call you. Your identity is who I say you are, and that is who I say you are. And all through scripture, we are given these statements about who you are now in Jesus Christ. The first uh, couple chapters of Ephesians are full of them. Ephesians 2.19 says, so now you Gentiles, which is us, he says, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. In other words, you're no longer on the outside looking in. You're, you're no longer the people who weren't good enough to make it. You're no longer the people that had to pay a fee to get, you know, make it through the front gate or whatever. He says, everyone, no, no, no. When, when you take on my identity, you are in. You're not a stranger. You're not an outsider. You're not a foreigner. He says you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us to do long ago. You are God's masterpiece You are the one that he looks at and says, on that day when I created them, that was when I was at my best. I love them. They are good. I have purposed them to do good things. I've got a call on their life to do those things. He is so pleased when he sees you. He loves what he sees because he made you and he has a plan for your life. You are his masterpiece. So your name, it doesn't really matter. Your job title is kind of irrelevant. The country that you live in is minor details compared to the fact that your citizenship is now in heaven with God. And the work that you're doing here on this earth is secondary at best to the good things that God has planned for you to do on this earth. That is who we are. That is our identity. It's not really even about who we are. It's about whose we are. The question, who am I, is answered with, well, you're mine, God says. You're mine. You're my children. You're my family. That's incredible. So how does this happen? Right? I mean, this is a pretty big thing. What's the process? Is there paperwork to do? I don't know if any of you have ever had to wrestle with immigration to try and 
change your work visa or your citizenship or whatever else. I've never had to, but I've seen Pastor Dave and Matt both work through it and still work through it, and it is a nuisance. It's a pain. It is convoluted. It's expensive. They don't make it easy, and it's all for a little piece of paper that some guy signs that says, okay. Right? If it's that much work and time and money and effort and sweat to, to, to just change a little part about where you live on the earth, how much harder and more complex will it be for you to take on a completely new identity that alters your soul from the inside out? And the answer is it's super easy. It's incredibly simple. Jesus says, you just need to be saved. You just need to say yes to me. Romans 10 Verse 9 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. If you believe it and you declare it, God says, awesome. Here's your new identity. This is who you are. This is what it means. Being saved means that you have aligned yourself with Christ. You have said yes to Christ. You have been united with Christ. And, and you're basically saying, I believe that you created me, that you called me, that you cleansed me, that you've got good things for me to do, and I want to do all of those things. And it happens in an instant. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And this identity is your new life. Your old life is gone, and your new life has become, Paul says it like this in Galatians 2, uh, verse 20. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. And it's, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's, it's not even me who's really alive anymore, but it's Christ who lives in me. And, and I'm just kind of this earthly body that's here, and, and I want to do what he wants, and, and I want to go where he says to go, and I want to do the things he's asking me to do. That is my, do, my new identity now. It's no longer I that even lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. So that's what our identity is. That is how you can get it in your own life. The, the big question is, well, why does it matter? Why? I mean, isn't that always the question? With really big, important kind of things? Well, why? That's what kids always want to know from their parents. That's what we never have answers for. Why? Because I said so. I know, but why? Just, I'm your parent. It's the big question. And here's the answer. Here's the answer to the why your new identity is so important. It's because it changes the way that you live. It'll change the way that you live. Knowing who you are will change the way that you live. Isn't that the truth? Whenever you learn something new about yourself or the world around you, it, it's usually something that will have an effect on you. It, it triggers some kind of change. Very rarely is there this big dramatic discovery that you get excited about if it has no bearing on your life whatsoever. Isn't that true? It, there's massive scientific breakthroughs every year, and most of us are like, I don't care. What's it doing for me? You learn math in school and you're like, this is stupid. What's, what's in it for me? Why does this, I have to know this stuff? Like, we don't care about things that don't have any bearing on our life. I don't read the daily newspaper from Sacramento, California. I don't care. 
I don't know who the mayor is. I don't care what he said last week. doesn't bother me if their city council is making decisions. If they change their garbage day, if some guy's upset that some guy's dog keeps pooping on his lawn, or I don't care. It is not keeping me up at night. I don't think about Sacramento, California at all. But it probably matters to them. Right? And I try and keep up with Fredericton News because it does matter to me. I do care what our mayor says, and I do care what our city council decides because right? it has bearing on my life. I want to know what roads they're going to work on for 84 weeks next summer. Right? It, it's going to change the way that I live. I want to know if my taxes went up. I want to know if they went up illegally. I want to know if I can get my money back right now. Right? Like, it matters to me. I remember the day they put the, the new roundabout in on the highway. I was like, yes, this is awesome. And then some guy came at me, and I almost died. But I was, all right, this is going to change the way that I drive. I remember the day, remember this day, just like it was yesterday, the day that the Starbucks opened on Prospect Street with a drive-thru. changed me. It changed me deeply. I remember the day they opened the new highway to Pennyac. There was a revival in our house that day. It broke out. We praised the Lord almost as much as the same that when we praised the Lord when they opened the Ultramar in Pennyac. I can buy emergency cat food eight minutes quicker, and it changed everything. It was a great day. That's news that matters to me because it has an effect on my life. It has bearing on my everyday life. Right? And sometimes you hear things at church, sometimes you hear sermons, you read verses, and you're like, oh, that's all neat maybe for someone else. Oh, this is one of those sermons that so-and-so should be here for. Oh, this is truth, I've heard it a million times, let someone else listen to it. And we almost talk ourselves out of assuming that this is truth that is for me, that will change my life. Listen, for every single person in this room, whether you follow Jesus or not, this is huge news that will impact the way that you live. If you hear it, if you believe it, if you wrestle with it, if you walk with Jesus Christ, this should be changing the way that you live. You should know your identity. It should have an effect on you. It should help really be the framework for your entire life. It changes us. So here's three big things that change when we take Christ on as our identity. The first thing is this, is that the purpose of your life changes. We'll start small. Here's what changes. The purpose and meaning of life. All right? We'll start right there. Um, picture your life before Christ. Put a little BC after your name. In Mark Brewer BC, what did you live for? Right? What was it? I don't know. Maybe you lived for the pursuit of money. You were going to be rich. Maybe it was the pursuit of wealth. Maybe you wanted to have power and influence. Maybe you wanted to do it for good or for evil or whatever it was. Maybe you just wanted to grow up and have a family. You lived for comfort. You lived for happiness. Whatever all those things were, none of those things are bad or wrong in and of themselves. But when you take on Christ, none of them are the reason that you live anymore. None of them are the driving force in your life anymore. When you take on Christ, your identity says the purpose of your life now is to bring glory to God. That is the be-all, end-all. That is step one when you decide to follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now that's such a simple verse and so many of us have heard it so many times that I think the meaning has kind of been faded out of it. I, I want to just walk us through that again really quick. He says, whatever you do, in other words, everything that you do, 
do it all. He says all. That's the entirety of it. In other words, the entirety of everything that you do should bring glory to God. That's big. That is the reason we live, is that we would make known the name of God, the name of Jesus. So we should be asking every day, will this decision bring glory to God? We should be asking ourselves, are are the words I'm using today drawing people to God or are they pushing him away from God? Is the way I'm loving my neighbor, is the way that I'm raising my children, is the way that I'm acting at work, is the way that I'm spending my money, is the way that I'm using my time, are all of the, is the entirety of everything in my life something that is bringing glory to God? Am I living in a way that he would be pleased with, in a way that he would say that is good, in a way that people would see an accurate representation of who God is in your life? That's big. It's pretty big. This is why line one of our vision statement as a church is making Jesus famous. Because it's about the glory of God above all things. And I know sometimes we hear that word famous and we're like, what do you mean by famous? I mean the actual real word and what it meant before we destroyed it by having it mean temporary celebrity. The word fame means renown around the world. That this name would be the prominent name above all names, the name that you would want everyone to see. That is the definition of fame. And there are scripture verses that say, may your fame be known around the world. That is our job, that we would make famous the name of Jesus. It is not shallow, temporary celebrity, but it is the goal of every Christian to glorify God in everything that we do. So that's one major change with your identity. The purpose of your life changes. The second thing that changes is that you are now given power. The power in your life changes. All right, before Christ, right, again, B.C., you had to rely on your own strength. You had to rely on your own wisdom, your own smarts, your own talent. If you wanted to get better, get stronger, you had to work harder, you had to try harder. It was blood, sweat, and tears. Everything was up to you. The world was on your back. And however far you got was completely dependent on you and what you were capable of. The problem is, is that all of those things have a limit. Human strength can only take you so far. Human wisdom can only take you so far. It's different for everybody. Like, you can only get so strong, so smart, so talented. You have a lid. You have a lid in everything that you do. Right? Not all of you, despite years of practice and training, not all of you could be world-class ski jumpers. Truth? Anyone? Do you believe? You have a lid. And the same thing happens in your life with, with what you are capable of and what you are capable of doing, but not, not true if you are in Jesus. See, when you take on Christ as your identity, in that moment we believe that the Spirit of God now dwells within you. The Spirit of God himself dwells within you. And again, this is another one of those truths of Scripture that maybe you've heard it so many times that it's lost his meaning a little bit along the way. But listen, the Spirit of God lives in you. You are his dwelling place. You are his temple, the Bible says. That is, it's unbelievable. I mean, literally to the point where people did not believe that was what was happening. But it's true. The same power that 
raised Jesus Christ out of the grave lives in you. The same God who is the God who can do all things lives in you. The God who can do all things, the world says, no, that's impossible. God can do it. The same God who's done countless miracles before will do countless more miracles. That same God, he lives in you. Do you believe it? What does that mean for us? Well, it means that now you have access to things that you never would have had access to apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus now gives you wisdom that you did not have before you had the Holy Spirit. Right? Do you believe? The Holy Spirit can give you divine wisdom that you were lacking. The Holy Spirit gives you joy that you would not have been able to drum up in your life in the hardest of times, only from Jesus. The Holy Spirit inside of you gives you everything. He he will speak to you and give you discernment to know what's right and wrong. He will give you a, a kind of a nudge to say, this is the way I want you to go. He will answer prayers when you speak to God. You can speak to God and he will hear you and he will act on your behalf. Do you understand how unbelievable that is? The Holy Spirit in you gives you peace that you wouldn't have had otherwise. There's a power inside of you that did not exist before you took on your identity in Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God has given you the power to do what pleases him, to do the good things that he has called you to do. Aren't you glad that God has equipped you to do the work that he called you to do? Wouldn't have been an annoying for him to say, here's, here's what I need you to do. Go change the world. By the way, I'm not helping. That's a pretty lousy God, isn't it? Not our God. Our God goes one step further and he says, by the way, I will be inside of you every step of the way, giving you what you need, when you need it, in an abundance beyond what you're even needing, and I will do infinitely more than you can even think of. Okay, go. Now we should be going, okay, there's a power in my life that I did not have before I took on Christ. So your purpose in life has changed, and the power in your life has changed. We leveled up pretty big. Colossians 1.27 says, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. I love this, and this is the secret. Christ lives in you. I can even see him writing it. I can see him being so exciting about it. He says, this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. In other words, this should fill you with joy and ability and capacity to go out and do the work. He says, this is the secret, you guys. Christ lives in you. I mean, they just couldn't even comprehend it. He had to keep telling them about it. Our purpose changes and our power changes. And finally, when your identity is in Christ, you now have a promise that you didn't have before. You're given new purpose, new power, and also a promise. And it's a promise for what's next. It's a promise that this life is not all there is. It's a promise that what happens in this place is not the final say. But we believe that all things will be made new, that all things will be made right, that God is going to do the restoration of all things. Life how it was supposed to be. That means a life without pain and without suffering, a life without diseases and illnesses and cancer, a life without weapons and injustice and warfare, a life without poverty and starvation. And, and, and I mean, that's the big things, but sometimes, man, it's, it's a life without 
pettiness and insecurity and migraines. It's a life without Facebook. It's a life without gossip. It's a life without anxiety, right? It's not just the big things. It's the things that you deal with every day that bother you, that weigh you down, that slow you down, that wear you out, the things that make you look up at the sky and go, how much longer? He goes, hold on, I have a promise. And my promise is that I will fix it and I will make it right in my perfect timing. I will make all things new. He goes on to say this in Titus 1-2. The truth gives them the confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. There's two things in there. This should give you confidence, Titus says. Confidence. Does the promise of eternity give you confidence today? I know it does for me sometimes when you look around the world, when it's dark and depressing and awful to know, to be reassured, this doesn't win. This isn't it. This is going to be fixed. Every injustice will be made right because God said so. That should give you confidence. And then someday God will begin the restoration of all things. Listen, this is not a promise that you had before Christ. This is not a promise that existed before you knew him. At best, before Christ, it was just guesswork, wasn't it? Hey, where do you think you go when you die? No sweet clue. I hope it's good. Maybe there's something. Maybe, there, maybe there's not. What if there is a heaven? Well, I don't know. Maybe good people go there. Maybe I'm good. Who decides good? Who defines good? Who's the judge that's going to figure that out? I don't know. Maybe we come back reincarnated. Maybe we have to try harder the next time. Maybe we make it halfway and we have to shovel coal into a furnace. I have no idea. We had no idea before Christ. No sweet clue. Not a lot of reassurance, not a lot of joy, not a lot of hope, not a lot of foundation to put your feet on and say, it will get better. But with Jesus Christ, he says, don't worry, I am the way. Just me, I am the way. And you can know that that promise is true, that it is for you, that it is for all people. The only way to receive that promise and have it comfort you is to take on Christ and to have him as your identity. So that is your identity in Christ. It gives you new purpose, it gives you new power, and it gives you a promise that he will fix all things. I mean, so that's just it. It's just everything. It's everything imaginable, everything you can think of. Knowing that church should change the way that you live. It should change the way that you speak, change the way that you worship, change the way that you evangelize, change the way that you love your neighbors, change the way that you serve one another and give of yourself, knowing that you have been called to do it and equipped to do it. And you can stand on a foundation that says, this is not all for nothing, but this is all leading to something that will be worth it and worthwhile. That is our identity. We call it a secret identity, not because you should keep it a secret, just because people probably don't know that when they look at you. It's not super obvious when you look at someone and know, oh, wow, but they're full of the actual spirit of God. You probably don't think that when you walk past people at the mall, do you? But that's who we are. Whether the world knows it or sees it or even believes it, this is who we are in Christ. This is what we're going to talk about for these next few weeks as we unpack that scripture and talk about what each one of those things means. But I want to close in prayer today. And I want to pray for some of us maybe who somewhere along the way, maybe we've kind of lost 
some of that urgency that comes in knowing your identity. Maybe your purpose has been lost in, in just kind of that rat race of life, thinking, is this it? I'm just going to work, and then someday I'll retire, and then hope that I stay alive for a while? Is that, is that it? And God says, no, i got purpose for you. If you're not dead, you're not done. Maybe you need to have your purpose reignited, right? Maybe, maybe somewhere along the way you lost sight of the fact that you have power through the Holy Spirit inside of you who can give you more boldness than you knew you had. He can call you out to do things you never imagined you can do. And you've been living down here when God says, I gave you the ability to live up here. I need you to step out in boldness. I need you to step out and obey me. I've, called, I've, I've given you supernatural gifts to do the work that I've given you. Are you using them? Why aren't you using them? Maybe we need to be reminded of our power in Christ today. And maybe some of us have just lost hope with our promise. And we get discouraged and we watch the news and we're like, what are you doing? And God just says, hold on, I've got a plan. My plan is perfect and my plan is good. You still have work to do. And so I want to pray for all of us that we would kind of be reignited in our identity with Christ. But I also want to close with an opportunity for you to perhaps make the decision today to take on Christ as your identity. Maybe you've never made the decision to invite Christ into your life and say, all right, I say yes, I'm in, I want purpose, because I don't know what I'm here for. I want to know that there's meaning to this, and I want to know that there's hope when it's all said and done, and I want to know that in the meantime, what I do here matters, and maybe you don't have that. And that's just a simple prayer that I'll lead you through, and you can decide to accept Jesus Christ today, and I will say the same thing. Everything will change in that moment. You might not feel it. It might not look like it, but you will take on a new identity today in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to get you guys to close your eyes. And we're going to pray, but if that's you here today and you have never decided to follow Jesus and you would like to make that decision, I'm just going to ask that you would right now would raise your hand in the air and say, that's me. I want to do that today. I want to make the decision to take on Christ as my identity. Awesome. All right. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are good and we are glad to be in your home today. God, I pray that the things that have happened in this place have been a sweet sound to your ear, that you have been pleased, that we have glorified you well. May that always be said of this church and these people. And Father, I pray over everyone in this room right now that you would reignite our passion to know you, to follow you, to to live out our purpose, to depend on you for our power, our wisdom, our truth to step out in boldness. You say, I've, I've called you to do good things. Help us to find them and do them. God, I just pray that you would give us the hope for tomorrow, encouragement for those who are discouraged, strength for those who are weak, refreshing streams of living water for those who have been in the desert for far too long. Holy Spirit, give us what we need in this place. You are our comforter. And for those in this room, who do not know you, Jesus, I pray that they would simply make the decision to call on your name and say, Jesus, come into my life. Cleanse me and make me new. I want to follow you. And I want to know that I can stand on that promise for tomorrow as well. Jesus, we love you. You are good. And we ask it in your name. Amen.